The Decompensated Heart, a Maladaptive Response to Hemodynamic Stress. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, your host, and with me today is Dr. Joseph Hill. Dr. Hill is the Professor of Internal Medicine and Molecular Biology, the James T. Willerson, M.D., Distinguished Chair in Cardiovascular Diseases, the Frank M. Ryburn, Jr. Chair in Heart Research, and the Chief of the Division of Cardiology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Hill, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. The Framingham study showed us that about 91% of patients who are newly diagnosed with heart failure have pre-existing hypertension. The question I'd like to start with is, how does hypertension eventually start leading to cardiac decompensation? What are some of the changes that we can see early in the myocardium in patients with hypertension and decompensation? Well, it's certainly true that hypertension is one of the major precipitants of heart failure, likely the major one, the most important one in our society. Hypertension attacks the heart in a couple of different ways. Number one, it attacks at the level of the heart cell itself. It causes the heart cell to grow and ultimately can, when the heart cell is stressed for an extended period of time, can actually kill the heart cell. In parallel, hypertension is a well-established risk factor for atherosclerotic change and atherosclerotic disease, which certainly leads to myocardial ischemia, infarction, a major mechanism of heart failure. Now, when we look at the myocardium in a patient with hypertension and heart failure, can we see that there are cells dying or increased fibrosis? What do we see at the heart level? Well, a standard test is transthoracic echocardiography, and it is very, very common to detect mild to moderate ventricular hypertrophy on echo. It's important to recognize that when we see that, we should redouble our efforts at controlling the blood pressure, which is far and away the most common trigger for ventricular hypertrophy in the United States. There are other imaging modalities, cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, that allows one to quantify and localize fibrosis, which again is a sequelae from hypertension. That said, we currently don't have therapies that target fibrosis per se, So in some ways, you could argue that it doesn't make too much sense to go imaging for fibrosis, given that we can't do much about it. I will add that there are drugs in experimental development that target fibrosis, so this may change down the road. Now, you've done some work where you're looking at how the heart responds to these stresses, and one of the terms in your work is autophagy. Can you describe what autophagy is and how that plays a role in the decompensating heart? Autophagy is an absolutely fascinating process that occurs in all cells and all eukaryotic organisms. It occurs in yeast all the way up to humans in every cell in our body. And it is, like many things in biology, at one level, necessary and good for you. It is involved in the development of many of our organs. It helps the body withstand a variety of stresses. Taken too far, however, autophagy can ultimately kill a cell. Let me hasten to add what autophagy is. The term autophagy, auto means self and phagy means eat, self-eating. It is a cellular process where the cell can begin to nibble away at its own intracellular contents. 
if you take a yeast cell and you starve it by depriving it of its food, which is amino acids, it will start to develop intracellular vacuoles that form around cargo inside the cytoplasm, for example, around a mitochondrion or around a set of molecules, and it will digest those, interest, those intravacuolar contents, thereby releasing energy substrates and amino acids, and this will allow the yeast cell to survive short-term starvation. If the cell were not allowed to do that, it would die within minutes of being starved. Those same processes occur in our cells and in our heart cells. And we found recently that the stresses that we're more interested in from a medical standpoint would be stresses such as hypertension or ischemia or reperfusion. All of those stresses similarly trigger a dramatic autophagic response inside the heart cell, and work is underway to try and understand what are the proximal triggers that elicit that response, and at the other end, is that response a good thing? Is it trying to help the cell survive the stress it's experiencing, or is it a bad thing contributing to the cell death? So is the autophagic response a form of remodeling that occurs to the heart? Evidence suggests that it either allows the cell to survive and just withstand the stress it's experiencing, or in other contexts, taken too far, actually kills the cell. And certainly, for example, long-standing hypertension where this autophagic response is activated, one by one, heart cells are eliminated from the myocardium and they are not replaced. Then imagine that over 10 years, the thick-walled heart the hypertrophied ventricle from hypertension begins to thin over time, and you're left with a thin-walled failing ventricle. That, that is currently what we think is happening. So how does autophagy differ from apoptosis, another way that cells die? That's a good question. Cells can die ultimately three different ways. They can die of necrosis, which is a process where this cell is just disrupted and all its intracellular contents are released, and then there's an inflammatory response to eliminate the debris. Apoptosis is a form of programmed cell death where the nucleus is dismantled first. An elaborate cascade of molecular events occurs leading to an orderly dismantling of the nucleus followed by a destruction of the cytoplasm. Autophagy, which is the third way that a cell can die, has been termed programmed cell death type 2, there, the cytoplasm goes first. Again, a orchestrated cascade of molecular events occurs leading to selective dismantling of the cytoplasm, and only when that is at an advanced stage is the nucleus attacked, and, and then ultimately the cell is eliminated. If you are just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Hill, and we're discussing how hypertension can lead to decompensation of the heart. Do we know what the triggers are that hypertension can bring to the heart that can lead to this autophagic response, or, or do we know how hypertension starts the process? That's an area of active investigation, a variety of places, including in my lab. It's been known for some time that hypertension leads to an oxidative stress response where oxidative radicals like superoxide and hydrogen peroxide are elicited at abnormally high levels in the cell. That reactive oxygen species 
that is set loose inside the cytoplasm oxidizes a variety of proteins, causing them to misfold and then precipitate out of solution. Those misfolded proteins ultimately aggregate in an energy-dependent fashion are transported to a certain spot, sort of a trash can inside the cell. And somewhere along the way, between reactive oxygen species, protein misfolding, aggregation, and then sweeping up and disposing of over in the corner of the cell, somewhere in there is the trigger of autophagy. And we're working hard to try and understand exactly what that is. So can you think of the autophagic response initially just as the cell cleaning itself up, cleaning up the damage that then just goes too far and eventually leads to the cell death? That may be what the answer proves to be. We don't know yet, but that certainly is a leading theory that the autophagic response is trying to help the cell by eliminating these toxic misfolded proteins. But while it is doing that, perhaps it is gobbling up other aspects of the cell. It may be eliminating mitochondria that the cell needs to survive. And perhaps when it goes too far and just one too many mitochondria are eliminated, then the cell tips over into an inevitability toward death. Are there any possible targets for treatment against the autophagic response? Yes, there are. There are a number of small molecules that have been worked out in the yeast literature that target autophagy. Um, but as I mentioned, we know that in many situations, autophagy is adaptive and necessary. So in order for us to target autophagy in heart disease, we would likely be looking for ways to target it specifically in the myocardium. I'll cite the example of in a variety of neurodegenerative diseases like Huntingtonism and Parkinsonism and Alzheimer's where proteins precipitate out in neurons in the brain, there there's a dramatic autophagic response that appears to be adaptive. It appears to be trying to eliminate misfolded proteins in the neurons. And there's some talk of a clinical trial in Europe to try and actually turn on autophagy in the brain's of patients with these neurodegenerative disorders. So it is, unfortunately, it is complex such that it is adaptive in some tissues and in some contexts and clearly maladaptive in others. And before we can envision therapeutic trials in patients with heart disease, we need to understand when autophagy is helpful when it is not, and, and what are the differences between those two forms. So this sounds like another example where there's initially an ad adaptive response, but then doesn't know when to turn itself off, and it just keeps ongoing, which leads to disease. That may well be the case. As you know, there are many, many examples now. For example, adrenergic activation and heart failure is a short-term adaptive event that allows the heart to try and withstand loss of portion of the myocardium things like that. But it's now well established that long-term adrenergic activation in heart failure is maladaptive, and that's why beta blockers are a mainstay of therapy in that disease. It may well be that autophagy is similar, that it is helping the organism withstand short-term stress, but the organism did not evolve to deal with long-term adaptive responses like autophagy. Now, if we aggressively treat our hypertensive patients and lower blood pressure markedly, can we bring about regression of hypertrophy and can we turn off some of these maladaptive responses? Yes, in general, that's true that certainly in the initial stages, 
the ventricular hypertrophy from hypertension is reversible. Much of the fibrosis is reversible. That said, it's also clear at the other end of the time frame that there is a point where it becomes irreversible, where the pathologically remodeled ventricle will not recover, where the fibrosis will not resolve. Well, I want to thank Dr. Joseph Hill, who has been our guest. We have been discussing how the heart decompensates with hypertension and some of the cellular and molecular mechanisms that cause this decompensation. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.